Welcome to the Call to Action Podcast, where we bring you incredible people and even more incredible stories with discussions and topics about what it takes to sacrifice everything to overcome hardships and failures to achieve success. Our guests heard the call. Now it's your turn. Happy New Year, everybody. Thanks for tuning in for another episode with us at Call to Action Podcast. This one is a heater, an amazing guest with a crazy badass background and story from the military, some special operations, into his own TV show, and now what he's doing in the augmented reality space, which I've been blessed to be a part of. The whole story is incredible. One little caveat about this episode, had a little bit of an equipment malfunction, our microphone was a little off-tune and got to get a new one, so my bad, but uh, some of the plosives, the sharper sounds, the D's, the P's, the T's, etc., a little bit sharp at times, but for the most part, the episode's really enjoyable, and uh, our editor did a phenomenal job filtering and uh, toning all those down as best we could. So without further ado... Here's our next episode. Our next guest has been around the world twice and has seen two whales fuck after 10 years in the SEAL teams as a breacher. He's a decorated warrior who's earned distinction and has substantial amount of combat experience. After deploying into places like Kosovo and Afghanistan, he was a phase two instructor in BUDS, basic underwater demolition SEAL training, where young men go to hell and back to see if they have the stones to be a part of the most prestigious military community on fucking planet Earth. His journey could stop there and be tremendously badass, but he's a savage and never fucking quits. After retiring from a military career, he was drawn back into film and TV. Having roles in Patriot's Day, American Sniper, Transformers, Revenge of the Fallen, and many others, he went on to star in two worldwide series on Discovery Channel, Manhunt, a.k.a. in the U.S. here, Lone Target, and Predators Up Close. He is considered one of the world's most well-respected escape and evasion experts and successfully put it to the test against the world's best special operations teams where he'd drop into their country undetected and have to make it to an extract point before getting captured. If you're feeling like your dick is two inch smaller at this point, join the club. This man has lived a life to the absolute fullest and I'm honored to call him a dear friend. Please welcome this fucking hard-bodied, hairy-chested, rootin', tootin', shootin', parachutin', demolition, double-cap crimpin', frogman, <laughs> Joel Lambert. The best intro ever. <laughs> <laughs> welcome, bro. Loving that. Thanks Thank you for having me. Man. Glad yeah, to be here. Thanks for coming on. So, you thought fucking Buds was hard. We're going to put you through yeah, a little warm-up first, just to get the, uh, the juices flowing a little bit, and then uh, we'll jump into your just extraordinary fucking story and okay. uh, then what you're up to today but you know we'll start off hardcore here I'm in your hands favorite finishing submission when rolling BJJ and then also your least favorite way to to tap oh my, my favorite submission I think the one I use a lot one of my good friends that you know Owen Leon um, who is probably the world's next John Danaher as far as uh, Brazilian BJJ goes 100% he uh, showed me when I was a white belt, I was trying to get uh, Americanas all the time from a mounted position. I have a pretty strong mount. And Describe just, what an Americana is to the uh, Americana average listener. Americana is like your arm up. It's a, it's a joint lock, a shoulder lock where your arm, your hand is above your shoulder. Very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. I did um, it to myself the other week. By yes, the way. <laughs> and difficult to finish from a mounted position, but... Um, 
I, uh, he showed me a way, a one-armed Americana where I could finish it with one arm from Mount. And I've used that so much. Thank you, Owen. It's become my go-to finishing move. <laughs> Fuck yeah, man. That's, dude, that one is gnarly because you don't realize how stiff your shoulders are until you get into a position like that. And I've legitimately been working on flexibility, like mobility uh-huh. work. Right. Doesn't matter. No, like, yeah. I, same position. Get tapped. Yeah. Fucking it's exactly. Genetics. Genetic potential is what it is. Yeah. Um, my least favorite way to tap is again, uh, let's, let's bring Owen back into it because Owen is the triangle master. He can triangle you from, from any position. Um, and you never see it coming. And then boom, all of a sudden you're triangled and he just, I don't know how many times I tapped Owen Leon's triangle. So there we go. He's such, and uh, Owen, you are such a savage. Congratulations, by the way, on your uh, recent black belt. If you yes, listen to this, uh, yeah, that's so well badass. Deserved. So badass. Yes. Yeah. Let's get a mat out and start rolling over here. No, thank you. This dude's got some grapevine hooks yes. with his feet that uh, will drive oh, wow. you insane. I'm yeah. a good mount. Yeah, you good cannot mount. get out of it. It's frustrating. You know, man, so kick-ass having you here. I really want to know this. I feel like this is going to be the best response we've ever had to this question, and I can't wait to ask it. What is your morning routine? My morning routine? Well, it might not be as exciting as you you think, but um, I get up pretty early. I go to bed very early, and I get up early, so I usually wake up um, about 4.30 or 5. Um, The first thing I do is I drink 32 ounces of water in a copper vessel. Ayurvedic medicine, copper water is is amazing for you in so many different respects. So I I pound 32 ounces of water that has been sitting in my copper bottle all night long. I fill it before I go to sleep. What's the benefit to that? The copper, you can look it up, but it's just, it's like every benefit. And then Mm. Ayurvedic traditions, like some of the Ayurvedic practitioners, you know, this goes back tens of thousands of years. They say that drinking copper water every morning will cure like, everything. Wow. I, I don't know, but there are a lot of proven benefits for the copper yeah. in, in the water. Mm-hmm. So I, I down that I sit meditation for usually 20 minutes, uh, right after that. Um, and then it's time to go feed the dog and, uh, start the coffee. All right. <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> Hell yeah. Get the coffee going, take the dog out to the porch, no matter what the weather is, sit in the rocking chair, look out over my little orchard in Tennessee mm-hmm. and sip on some coffee and, uh, read a little bit, catch up on whatever news has to happens to be going on in the world and uh, and that's about it so that's my morning routine generally is meditation my um uh, copper water and uh and um some coffee Beautiful. when's your first uh exercise of the day my first exercise how phys- yeah. when I physically start moving yeah go train to the gym or yeah. like feed the chickens move the tractor uh, around. well first thing Something. i've got to let the chickens out that's the first thing about six thirty or so as soon as it starts getting light got to go let the chickens out because they're they're over there borking at me and getting upset if i'm not (laughs) right on time let me know if i'm not letting them out right when the sun rises so i gotta let the chickens out feed them water them make sure they're good um as far as my exercise my exercise routine has gotten really messed up over the last year so i had a massive stroke six months ago um, that put me in the hospital for a couple weeks and i recovered from that and uh almost completely I've been very, very lucky, very blessed in that. But that obviously affected my physical training. Um, I haven't really trained jujitsu in that six months just because my left side was pretty off. Mm-hmm. I, I had this amazing opportunity to go to a place in Virginia called Virginia High Performance, which is owned by a former SEAL brother of mine who has created this program with these incredible um, advanced degree personal trainers at this this like D1 level physical facility where I had two 
crazy workouts a day that are like therapeutic workouts. I mean, I'm working out, but these people know so much. It's like a crazy um, science experience almost, right? I, I, it's like, it's like um, occupational slash physical therapy uh, for mobility and all that. My, my left side, I have 100% mobility and range of motion now that I didn't have before I showed up. We're doing float tanks, sensory deprivation tanks, massage, chiropractic three times a week, uh. a complete nutrition program where they take all your blood panels and then create nutrition for you and they give you your meals every day all day so i just that was a month long and that fixed so much and so i've just started getting my um physical training routine back so i go to the gym you look phenomenal thank you you thank you seriously Um, i was not looking so hot after the stroke it put me down pretty hard (laughs) dude but i have to say uh i didn't want to bring it up myself but if if you're open to talking about it i have to tell people uh anyone listening that (laughs) <laughs> this is what Lindsay, uh, his, his better half said to me when he woke up, she's keeping everybody updated. And <laughs> first thing this fucking guy says is wakes up from the anesthesia, looks at the doctor and goes, when can I start choking motherfuckers out? <laughs> he had all the fucking doctors, nurses, wide eyed and drooling at some point because they were just like, who is this savage? And sure enough, man, I got to say, I've never seen a recovery so fucking fast, yeah, so determined. And it's just, it's a testament as to, uh, as to why we feel so like, uh, just honored to have you here today. And, and honestly, as a friend, it's just been incredible to see your journey and we'll get into it. Um, just from, you know, when you were in the show, uh, you had the motorcycle accident yes. that took you out of the show for a little bit. And then, up to this point and what the things you've gone through and doing and how you've transformed yourself and leveled yourself into a new realm of just, uh, just mental capacity, you know? And because the, you know, all like we were just talking about our physical capacity hits a point, right? Mm -hmm. Like our, our uh, physical attributes can only take you so much, but then it's what's in between the ears above the shoulder that gets you to some planets that you could never have dreamt. 1000%. And I would tell this all the time, whenever I was doing interviews uh, for manhunt or for predators or any of that, um, podcast, whatever, I always say mindset is everything. Mm everything in survival in escape and evasion in special operations in life your mindset will determine everything that you experience and you see it examples in escape and evasion and survival all the time you see this 14 year old girl whose plane crashes in the amazon both her parents are dead and she walks out over the course of a month and she makes it out and then there are other people who have a a bad experience and they succumb to it fairly quickly because of their mindset. Mindset is everything. Small bites, small victories, small um, steps forward without stopping. Your mindset is everything. I can't stress that enough. And you're an example of exactly that, man. So I really applaud you for, I mean, holy fuck, dude, just six months ago or so you were just, you had sent me a (laughs) picture with a big ass black eye, fucked up mouth because you fell. And now look at you motherfucking <laughs> Thanks, man. crazy strong again but I, I did a header right into the shower i didn't know i was having a stroke <laughs> that's insane yeah i had no idea i was having a stroke and then Lindsay is calling me and she's like are you okay you, you don't sound good have you been drinking i'm like no i've been drinking and um, she's like yeah right dude yeah. you swat <laughs> <laughs> and uh and she says i think you need to go to the hospital yeah i don't need to go to the hospital <laughs> and, and uh she said we well, call me every couple hours so i did every couple hours I woke up in the morning and Mike takes me to the hospital and they say, 
you know, they say I had a stroke. And I'm like, I had a stroke. And I'm like, You're having a stroke right now. You're still having a stroke. Holy You're stroking shit. right now. <laughs> and so they got me over God. to Vanderbilt. The VA did. They did an excellent job and got me under control and got me in the, um, the, uh, but I, 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 I apparently had a stroke about 6 p.m. in the evening, slept all night. And then uh, I, I ended up That's taking insane. a spill in the shower and splitting my oh. forehead open and, Dude, was, team guys have the craziest fucking stories of just dumb. like. Because <laughs> we're dumb. We're hard-headed. We're just, dumb, but we're hard-headed. I just listened to a, a podcast real quick on uh, DJ Shipley. You oh, know? yes. I know his dad very well. I know DJ as well, but I know his dad very well. And he was on the Sean Ryan show, another another uh-huh. team guy in Tennessee, Nashville. Um, and he was talking about he, had a, he got fucking electrocuted, zapped. Uh, doing some uh, the new stuff he's doing with his skateboards. I guess there's oh. a thing where they oh, shock yeah, yeah. and he got fucking zapped and he was, he was stuck on that thing for like oh, a no. minute or That's two funny. and yeah. huge amount of wattages. I mean, his heart should have exploded out of his chest. <laughs> and he's like, I remember fucking holding on to these things. And he's like, I felt everything going crazy. And the doctor was like, after the whole thing transpired and whatever got in the therapy, he's like, this is a medical miracle. We have no explanation for how you're alive. We have no explanation as to why you're not burnt to shit. That's yeah. funny. And he's like, it must just be my, it just like, yeah. uh, anyway. That's funny. Just, well, when I first checked into SEAL Team 2 as a brand new SEAL, I was working for his dad, Don Shipley, who's a legend. He's hilarious. His and channel his, is so yes, funny. And his wife, Diane, is just as funny as Don. And she was in there all the time. She was scaring the CO and the command master chief of the team. She comes swaggering in there. No, sort of busting she's a veteran into, too, actually. Yeah, Navy yeah, yeah. Vet. She's a vet too. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Don and her met when she was. Uh, they were both in the Navy before the SEAL teams. Don was in the Navy before the SEAL teams, and then went over. But anyway, I remember so many times uh, Diane coming storming into Don's office, like you don't know what DJ did. I'm not going to dime you out, DJ. But I remember he was probably ten or eleven years old at the time. And I remember listening to all the things that DJ did. And he brought a knife, just a big one of his dad's giant <laughs> knives to school in his backpack Dad one time, like a big survive, like a big Rambo knife. Um, and then uh, some, some funny things. I'll say, tell one story. I remember, I don't remember exactly how this happened, but Diane came in fucking livid. And uh, apparently, I don't know if DJ took him to school or if she just caught him with him, but he had a bunch of Playboys or porn or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He still had some. Yeah. And so she was... Um, she was trying to figure out where he got it, and he showed her, and it was like his dad's stash. Yeah, so she came, yeah. she came storming in with this story, and they're, they're the most awesome couple. If you subscribe to, to Don Shipley's YouTube channel, his, his 131 thing. Buds, uh, something like that. I'll, I'll put it up on the, uh, on the show notes, yeah. but yeah. He exposes wannabe seal or fake seals um, quite a bit, and That's he a is, they it's actually, a huge thing. Oh, there's dude, a lot it's of them. massive. Yeah, massive. They shut his channel down last year or a year and a half ago. Yeah, he was hurting a lot of feelings. Yeah, but then he put it up as a new channel name and it's like exploding. So I, I hit sub. If it, uh, wow. I know. It, Seal imposters? Yeah, dude. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a real like, thing. Like, like pastors and stuff that have been telling their, their flocks for decades. CEOs of companies yeah. and shit. And then he, you know. We, the thing is with the SEAL teams is that no matter, we all, yes, we'll go and do clandestine things and you can fall off the map and you can move into black areas of operation. You can move into other government agencies and you can do all that kind of stuff. But to be a Navy SEAL, you basic underwater demolition SEAL training, no exceptions. You go through that. If you go through that, your name is in the database. So you can always be vetted and checked by someone who has access to the database. Now, one of the things that the, the, 
fakers will do a lot is say, I was in a secret bud class, buds class or I was rec- recruited straight to the SEAL teams from the Navy because I was such a badass. They always <laughs> say some, something like that. It's total horseshit. Every single guy will go through buds. They may go on to do, I mean, if you know the names of the guys on the Osama bin Laden raid, they're all in the buds database. And that's a pretty high profile, um, darker, on the dark side of things operation. Right. Yeah. So if you were a SEAL, you went through buds and your name is in the database and you can be verified. And if your name is not in the database, you are not period. There, there are a couple in Vietnam era. There were a few, um, corpsmen that didn't go through buds that operated with a seal platoon, like actually did everything. Mm. And they ended up kind of getting grandfathered in a little bit because they went and did all the real operations. Right. But aside from a very few exceptions around Vietnam, early in Vietnam, the, the database is the gold standard. So, So is not that, including Pastor Mark. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is that where the uh, like the frog man symbol comes from? Is a Vietnam era like swimming in the before Vietnam? So the frogmen, <clears throat> we were the the naked warriors, and so um, if you take us back, or the SEAL teams, and then um, before that, we were UDTs, underwater demolition teams, and then before that, it was the NCDUs, and naval combat demolition units, and the scouts and raiders in World War II. These are the guys in the shorts with a K-bar knife between the teeth oh, yeah. and a haversack of explosives over the shoulder and, the, and a mask. And they would swim you know, out of the submarine and swim up onto the beach where all of the scullies and the obstacles that the, the Japanese or the Germans had put to tear the bottoms out of landing craft and stuff oh, so they couldn't true. land on the boat. So uh, we would swim up and we would measure all the depths going up called the hydrographic reconnaissance. And you come up and measure all the depths so you find the nice channels where the boats can come and where people can come up and land on the beach and then tie explosives to all of the obstacles and blow them all up. And these guys have no guns. They've got a knife between their teeth and they're wearing shorts and explosives. And they would go do you know these day-long, two-day-long operations, um, just the naked warriors. And that's where all of that came from. That's where our legend started. And then out of that, eventually that morphed into the underwater demolition teams and then out of the underwater demolition teams in the late 1950s um, early 60s John F. Kennedy commissioned us in 1962 mm-hmm. um, the SEAL Team 1 and SEAL Team 2 he was like I want a naval unit that's similar to the to the um, SAS to the um, to uh, some of the other forces around the world that's able to do all these things so where do we get that they took some of the toughest men there are which is the, the, um, the underwater demolition teams they don't come any tougher than those guys pulled them out and started giving them additional training, um, mm-hmm. in small unit tactics and in some of the, so we went to, they sent guys to, um, a lot of army schools and other countries schools to round out their skill sets. And then in um, January, 1962, I hope I'm not messing this is 61, 62, January, 1962 seal team one was commissioned on, uh, the West coast and seal team two on the East coast. And then that's who went into, Vietnam, and that's where our legend started that's to be. So laid. sick, man! Yeah. I can't imagine uh, being those guys with no fucking support like that. Oh just, yeah, dude! Just hard as nails. Hard as nails. You can find old pictures of those, some of those guys, like on the ship after a long operation. Still, you know, all the 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 stuff on their face, all the black paint on their face as they're eating. You know, still wet in shorts, nothing else. Shorts and coral booties. That's so tough men. Crazy, <laughs> very man. tough men. Yeah, built a little differently back then too, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, talking about fucking tough men and tough teams, uh, what's the most sophisticated, difficult hunter force you had to face during your uh, your show, Manhunt? And that's a good question. And the thing is, there's not one specific answer because every every hunt and every force had its own strength. And depending on how well they were able to utilize that strength, 
in their operations and against me was how well they did and how difficult time I had. So, for instance, um, as far as electronic surveillance and things like that, the guys in South Korea had their whole country locked down with basically closed circuit television and facial recognition and all those sorts of things. So that was incredibly difficult. Um, as far as just the, the guys in South Carolina, the dog uh, teams that I went against in uh, the Aiken County Sheriff's Department dog teams, those guys, when it comes to running dogs, they were amazing. Great trackers as well. I think the hardest one for me that was coupled with the hardest hunter force was in the Philippines. The, mm. um, the Philippine, um, uh, I'm blanking on their, their, their name right now. Anyway, their special operations force, um, uh, the not the scouts and raiders, the uh, blanking, they'll come to me. Anyway, no the Filipino force, they were incredible trackers and the, in the jungle, mm-hmm. Take them out of the jungle, they would probably fall on their faces. But in their jungle, they own that completely. And their tracking skills were unparalleled, and they had no technology. It was all old M16s. Damn. You know, uh, and, uh, and flashlights. Like iron sights almost? Yeah. Or, yes. Wow. Yes. Very low tech, but their skill sets were phenomenal. And they're constantly operating there in the jungle against some of the, um, the uh, Muslim separatists. And, and um, <clears throat> they are... They're phenomenal. And then the fact that we were in like tertiary growth jungle outside of Subic in the Philippines, the worst jungle I've ever been in, in a typhoon. Um, the typhoon came through while we were actually doing the hunt. It was, it couldn't have been more miserable. And those guys were amazing. Oh my God, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Love all those details. All right. Switching gears completely. (laughs) This is going to be a little bit of a wild west one. And that's the point of the brain freeze frenzy. If you had to take one hit of something, one shot of something and one beer, which strains brands, what hit of something, are are we just talking cannabis? Are we talking about anything? Anything. (laughs) Blow our minds again. Yeah. I had the most uh, (laughs) profound experience of my existence on a hit of five MEO DMT. Yep. Mm. And that was, I mean, that's a whole podcast right there with the experience <laughs> I had. Changed everything about me for the rest of my life. That's it was incredible. incredible. And we're talking, and I'm a big cannabis proponent. So when it comes to uh, cannabis, so are we. I would say I would probably take uh, a, some a beautiful, a beautiful cured, beautifully cured Blue Dream or Jack Herrer mm. would probably be my choices. A shot of something. I don't really. Sh- do shots, but if we're talking about a small amount of liquor, it'd be the best uh, bourbon or whiskey, yeah, scotch, whatever. Yeah, uh, any oh, of those. Yeah. And then it comes to a beer. I actually, ever since I started traveling to the UK, I got into UK style uh, ciders. Okay, um, oh, I nice. really like dry yeah, UK styles. Not the not the sorority girl, right? you know, sweet apple juice. <laughs> with right, a little, yeah, not the not the, Leave the hangover yeah, in the morning yeah. like crazy. Not the white claw version right. crap that we have over here. Yes, but like the UK style um, scrumpy or unfiltered yeah, scrum- uh, hard unfiltered. ciders. Yes, so those good. are amazing. Man, we're coming over to your place after this, man. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we come yeah. over here? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which buds phase did you enjoy uh, teaching the most as teaching. an instructor? Well, I, I was only really worked in second phase, although when the students went through Hell Week, we would all pitch in, and so I would work first phase sometimes during Hell Week. So mm. as far as being an instructor, I was limited. All of my certifications, all of my stuff was in second phase, which is the dive phase for students. So they've gone through first phase, which is basically a physical weeding out um, and – 
in drawing down to the ones that are 90% likely to graduate. So in first phase, they show up in pre-phase, which is before first phase, and they just kick the shit out of them because it's like, <laughs> welcome to what you chose. Because a lot of people show up at BUDS, and for some bizarre reason, they don't know where they're at. They don't know what it is that they've gotten themselves into. And the first couple really? of days, yes, I don't understand the how that is. internet these days, you know, like you'd think they'd. God. You would think they would understand a little bit more about what they're about to experience. And some kids don't. And it's, boy, you can see it. The interesting thing is in students, I can pick out with probably 80% accuracy, um, students are going to quit within the next 24 yeah, hours. Because there's something in their eyes. Something in their mm. eyes changes and they get this thousand mile stare and they become disconnected. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, you're not long. You're not long. Do you try to hammer them a little bit? No. Harder? You know, as, a, as, a, as an instructor... The program will take care of them. The cold water, the program will take care of them. Um, the only ones you really try to hammer a lot of extra hammering is the ones that, that screw up, the ones that fuck up. Because um, there is, we're looking for something very specific, and there are some things we're also looking for that are very specific that we will not let pass. You shall not pass. Really? Unless, yes. Yes. And so if we identify a student, a kid, who has some of these qualities, in fact, Dan Bilzerian is a, is a perfect, perfect example team. of that. Somebody who has something in them that is not team-like, that's yeah. not good, this is not someone that you can rely on, you can count on, oh. that you can... Um, you can. He you really can, harps on that. He does. Like, that's his whole His whole life is based around that. Yeah. <clears throat> just I was almost able, a SEAL. Yes. I no, got You never would have been a SEAL, Dan Bozarian. You never would have. You almost made it through buds. We were never going to let you. Because it's not about what you do, it's about what we allow. Because I will never let a man like that watch the six of brothers that I love. It would be, I would be, yeah, I would be beyond, it would be beyond remiss of me to allow a selfish person like that who doesn't understand what this team is about to go be a part of that team. So the group before the individual, always. absolutely, always, always. Yeah. It Even is in the training phase. Like, would is it a? And I'm just purely a, a speculate a question here because I just ignorance. But uh, wouldn't you think initially being selfish? Are there phases where it's like okay to be selfish? Like phase one, going through hell week, getting the shit beat out. You're just trying to survive, or is it always you're just? It's your always crew team. Is what it's you're always team. To help? It's okay. always team. What we're looking for is the the prospect who instinctively understands that who sacrifices for the team who who you have to put out 1000%. So when you're running and when there's there's some things that are individual events and but there's always a way to serve the team in that individual mm -hmm. event. Exactly. But at the same point in time you've got to make your time, you've got to do your thing. So if you're on your four mile timed run, you make the timed run and you finish it and you score your time and then you turn around and you go back and you run with the slow kids okay. and you help them out and encourage them and bring them. And that, when we see that, we, that's what we're looking for. Right. Wow. As a runner, yeah. I've never done that, but Hey, I'm taking notes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you selfish prick. Yeah. <laughs> I have never thought of it that way. But that's, that's how, that's what we're looking for because it is a hundred percent a team thing. And the person who is, I mean, we, there's something in the teams that we always joke about, um, so when they ask, you know, does everybody have your weapon? Does everyone have crypto loaded in your comms? Um, someone's going to say, I got mine, which is like, that's, that's, that's a kind of a, right. a joke. Now everyone's like, oh, I got mine, which is, you know, it's Fuck not about you guys, if you got yours. Yeah. It's like, you know, does everybody have, are we all situated? Are we all set up? So 
it's just a, a way of they, they say you know when you when, when you come back from any operation or from you know a training operation or anything like that we take care of team gear first we take care of platoon gear mm-hmm. next take care of individual gear third and then you take care of yourself last interesting so um you know you'll jump in the shower the hot shower because you're cold but you're rinsing all the salt water off your weapon and off your rucksack and everything and then you just you take off your clothes dump them right there and then you take your weapons in and you take care of you know the batteries the radios that the, the team gear and then the platoon gear and then you take care of my gun for next i take care of my guns and my weapons mm-hmm. and then my radios and all my personal stuff and then i wash myself and i get something to eat and i you know grab a gatorade or whatever right that's an interesting it goes back to the, the frame of mind you know the mindset right yeah. there yeah it's all mindset and you know none of us are 100 percent perfect at that and i've had moments where you know you you succumb to i gotta you know take care of yourself a little bit and things but but the that's the way everything needs to drive. It's got to have that. It's got to be the, the vast majority of everything that goes on. Yeah. And we're all human, you know. Of we're, none of us are perfect, but Captain America. Yeah, of course. But, not. you know, I mean, it's we're looking for a very specific kind of man. And if and it's not no shame in not being that, either not making it through or whatever. Well, the shame is in, you know, people who pretending that, yeah, pretending it or not letting it go. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a very unique place with a very unique group of people and there's no shame in not being one of them. Dang, learned so much from just uh, one little response there. (laughs) Moving on to the next one, also changing the game just a little bit. I think it kind of ties into what you're talking to. Did you ever deploy to a country and then want to go back for some kind of a holiday or vacation, you know, just outside of wartime? Oh, yeah. Oh, there are lots of places that, yeah, that that, um, whether it was wartime or whether it was um, like what we call the JSET, which is a joint training exercise where we train with another country's special yes. operations force which is a di- diplomatic kind of thing you know you don't give them the golden egg of knowledge right you just give them no you know, you know we, we be level yeah <laughs> i mean it depends i mean there's some great guys out there you know the, um, sure. the uk has great the sure. germans have great the french they have some great i noticed you say rucksack rucksack backpack, yeah. backpack. <laughs> the jaegers there's some great 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 units out yeah, there way more than i'm just i'm naming but um there are a lot of places. One place I went early on in my career, well before Afghanistan, that I loved so much was Estonia. Oh, Estonia yeah. was incredible. Wow. Yeah. First off, the exchange rate was we were we were rich. We were wealthy there, and as an E five, you don't get the experience to feel wealthy very often <laughs> on that paycheck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe after you get your your, your signing bonus right. and stuff like that, you know, you, you get a little stupid. <laughs> Um, Strippers and cocaine for everybody. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Team first. Yeah. The exchange rate was so great at the time that um, that that was amazing, and the women, the Eastern European women, were oh. just unbelievable. I married one. Yeah. yeah there you go. Huh? There it is. He knows. Then knows. And then, of course, all the cobblestone streets, and then they've got you know literal stone keeps in the middle of the town that have cannonball holes in them from right. like the 1600s, and you're like. <laughs> Wow, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is wild. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so sick. Yeah. What's your favorite cheat meal? Last two. Favorite cheat meal? I can eat sushi anytime. 
Really? Yeah, sushi is kind of lit. It's not. It's not really. It's a. It's a good meal. If I'm just. If I'm really cheating, I order a dirty pizza from um, from uh, Pop John's. Okay. Yeah. yeah, Not. It's not even like good pizza. Yeah. No, I want the Papa John's, the kind that you feel horrible about yourself after you eat it. You know, like it just. There's no redemption. Yeah. Yeah, And they've got the garlic butter dipping things you're pouring over the top, and yeah, triple cheese. Yeah, that's shits the next day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. Yeah. Feel horrible about yourself. Just your self esteem is in the toilet. Oh yeah. So is. Once in a while. All right, last one. Shifting gears entirely. <laughs> What's your everyday carry for our listeners? Your EDC. My everyday carry. Um, pull it out. I mean. Yeah, I'm, I'm in California. Um, well, so you all got my me stuff. onto this one. Oh yeah, the yeah, recon. yeah. The cold steel recon. Yeah. those are fantastic blades. I use. That's actually probably my go-to, my go-to, my cold Freshly steel recon one. Yeah, not expensive and yeah. an excellent blade. Um, I love those. As far as um, my pistol, I carry M, uh, Smith & Wesson M&P Shield in 9mm, mm. and I love that pistol. It's Why a, the 9mm? Well, I'm a forty five guy uh, in my other pistols, but as far as carry, I wanted the smallest. And the, the, the um, M&P Shield is, a, is like one inch wide. It's just, it's low phenomenal. Profile. Yeah. Okay. Very low profile. And it has a decent amount of, of rounds. And these days with ballistic technology, a nine millimeter, um, has the, the stopping difference between nine millimeter and like a 45 is negligible. If you're dealing, really? yeah, if you're, if you're dealing with some of these high tech, um, ballistics and, um, and, uh, uh, slug performance factors. Wow. That's that, almost hard to believe. Yeah. The nine millimeter is become a very, very effective round. Interesting. What, what kind of, uh, specific round are you running? To I've, play? I don't Just really like, have one that I run more than others, but I do. I just buy a lot of, one uh, that'll do damage. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I, I used to carry, I think they're illegal now, black talons. I used to like black talon, mm. um, hydroshock. Um, there are a bunch of other, I mean, I'm not really pitching one over another. There are a lot of fantastic um, man stopper awesome. rounds. Why out has there. that become illegal? I'm not sure. I'm not sure why. I think it was maybe a little uh, aggressive on its some of its um, exit wounds and things. I'm, I'm not exactly <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah, you know, I, I think some of its <laughs> expansion. Yeah, yeah. 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 that's hilarious. Yeah. Well, you fucking passed the brain freeze frenzy. I know that was the most difficult thing you've ever done. But, uh, appreciate you, man. But <laughs> easiest shit he's ever there. done is like yeah, it's, up it's up there. But we're gonna take the mat out later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, man, you have lived such a fucking incredibly crazy, insane life, and you've done so many freaking things. But uh, one thing I've never really heard you talk about is uh where the story started where, where are you from originally i know you're from washington but uh where and then how the hell did you get from there to freaking san diego that, that's a great question and <clears throat> I've, I've talked about this before um i grew up in uh, a little town called kelso washington right on the columbia river logging town um went to high spent my whole life there uh went to high school there graduated and uh didn't really have a lot of direction after high school. I went to college because that's what you do, but I wasn't studying anything that I was particularly interested in or something that was a career. Right. I was just going to college. And I came home after, I think, my junior year um, at the University of Washington. UW? Or yeah, that? UW. Okay. Just feeling really un 
unfulfilled and, and just really feeling like something was pushing me into something else. I didn't know what it was. I look back now and I understand it all. It's, it's Joseph Campbell. It's a hero's journey. It's, it's, um, it's the one story. It's the myth. It's, it's what we all do. It's the green knight. It's all those things. And, you know, it's Luke Skywalker leaving Tatooine. Um, it's the hero's journey. And if, you, if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, I highly encourage you to look up Joseph Campbell and read a little bit on the hero's, hero's journey. It's amazing. All the movies okay. that, are, that, are, <clears throat> that are real, all the stories that resonate, um, Homer, um, all of that is the one story. And it's the one myth. And it's, it's, that resonates with us so strongly because it's what we are created to do it's Jungian psychology. It's 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 finding the archetype. It's it's leaving home, finding the the oracle, and this is a full circle. But anyway, I'm getting off topic. I was feeling some urge to do something that was real and fulfilling, and I saw in front of me this wide boulevard, well lit with picket fences and nice houses and kids playing in the street, and that was my future, and that was okay, and that was great, and I had a girlfriend at the time, and it all looked wonderful. But off to the left. In between the streetlights was this trail that didn't even, it wasn't even a trail. It was overgrown and everything, but there was some little gap in the woods that was calling to me. And I didn't know what it was, but I knew I had to do it. But I didn't know what that was, but something was calling to me. And I'm like, what do I do? Do I go climb Mount Everest? Do I go, you know, be yes. an extreme sports guy? Do I do, what is it I need to do? I need to do something that challenges me physically, mentally, and spiritually. And it also needs to scare the shit out of me. And I looked at, I was just just trying to think of what it was I was going to do. And it occurred to me that when I was about 10 years old, my dad had a friend who had was in the Navy. And he, come, he came over for dinner one night. And after dinner, we were sitting in the living room and having coffee and everything. And my dad was chatting with him. And he was talking about how he signed up for some Navy whale program or something like that. I don't know what he was talking <laughs> about. But he went and he was talking about going through this program and he was talking about how they tied his hands behind his back and tied his feet together and threw him in the deep end of the pool and how he swallowed water and passed out and they pulled him out and revived him and said, do you want to go back in? He said, no, I'm done. I quit. And that was the end of the whale program for this guy. So he didn't see the two whales fuck. Yeah, no. And so I, I thought that's, I was, I was a water baby. I was always in the, the, I was the kid in the deep end of the pool with a mask and snorkel. They're blowing the whistle out to get the fuck out after the session is over. Right. That was me. And so every time I got in the pool after that, I always thought, what would it be like to have your be tied up and not able to control anything and be in the deep end and scared the shit out of me. And so as I'm having these feelings about what am I going to do? I'm like, well, the thing that still terrifies me is that. And I knew, of course, at this point in time, it was the, the seal program, not the whale program. And that's one of the evolutions you go through in first phase called down, drown proofing, which is actually not one of the more difficult ones, but it's kind of sexy. So that's why it kind of stuck right. in my head. And so I thought that still scares me the most. And it's the one thing I'm not sure I can do all these other things that I'm thinking about. I know I can do it. It'll cost me a lot. It'll be hard, but I can do those. This becoming a seal. I don't know if I can do that. So consequently, that's the one thing I have to do. If I don't do this, if I don't walk through that fear, and that's, right that's what you have to do. I mean, you find the thing that scares you the most and walk right into it and plop your ass down and live there. That's what so, you have to do. And so that's what I did. You just walked your ass into the Navy recruit I, office and said, well, I did a little research first at the time there wasn't, you know, I couldn't get on the internet and research all of these things. It was in, you know, 1997 or so. Mm -hmm. And so I, uh, I went down to the bookstore and bought all the Vietnam books on seal I, seals. I could, where they talked about buds training. They talked about the selection. They talked about everything, read everything I could, um, found out what the 
requirements were to make it into the program and went down to the recruiter's office and talked to them and started training every day. I would follow the, uh, the Bud's warning order, which had a workout program in it for prospects that wanted to go to Bud's. And it's a brutal workout program. Brutal. And I did it all. I did it to the letter, to the T, all the way, got myself to make sure I could make it, you know, make sure I could right. yeah. I even pass the, the entrance tests. Is that like Stu Smith's one or? No, I, at the time, Stu Smith had one workout book out that I bought and I had, but that was not really the one. The, the, this is, the one I'm talking about was put out by Naval Special Warfare, by the Navy. This is like, hey, oh, you're going to be a Bud's prospect. This is what you need to do oh. to get, get ready. Here's week one. Here's week two. Here's week three. All the way to week nine. And like week nine, I was running five miles a day in boots. I was swimming uh, an hour a day. I was like in the pool. Um, and then I would do these workouts. It was like 400 push-ups, 500 sit-ups, 600 pull-ups. And like, you know, it was like a, a calisthenic workout. And I would do that three days a week. And I would do the swimming and the running. And it was an amazing shape. And I went to boot camp, got out of shape. And then I went to Coronado, went to Bud's. And uh, so went this out. was pre-9-11. This is pre-9-11. This is 1998. And I went to Bud's. I was uh, in uh, Bud's class 220. And I went through Hell Week with 220, and I broke both my legs in Hell Week, stress fractures, but enough to roll me back. A whole bunch of us got rolled back. Um, because in Hell in Buds, in Hell Week, going through a winter Hell Week or winter class, the water is colder, and it really gets to your brain, yeah. and it's, it's a Damn. lot more people quit. But to make up for that during the summer classes or warmer weather classes, they just hammer the dog piss out of you to make up for the cold water by beating the shit out of you so everyone in our boat crew except for one guy had stress fractures in, in our legs and got rolled out two classes and we joined back in class 222 and i went and graduated in, in 222 and then i went to seal team two and then seal team four and then i was a buds instructor for a few years and then now i'm here <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you cold shower every day no, um, my girlfriend actually cold plunges every day. That's one of her things, and the benefits are amazing. I did, when I was getting ready for buds, that's one of the things I did, because the cold water, in all the literature, they said the cold water is what's going to get you. So get used to that. So what I did is I cold showered every day, and I would not take, I think I took one or two warm showers in the whole year I was preparing for buds. I just cold showered it all the time. And the funny thing is, is everything you prepare for, for buds, it helps absolutely not one lick because there's no way you can prepare for what's coming. Right. But if you don't prepare for it, you're completely fucked. Yeah. It's like, it's a parrot. It's a paradox. Jesus. You know, it, you a have to prepare a hundred percent, but you know that your preparation is not going to do anything for you. So I don't want to harp on it too much. I want to get to the, the stuff, you know, you're into now and, and uh, kind of your show a little bit and all that. Um, because I'm sure you've spoken about this at, at length and exhaustion. So, but uh, where I've always wondered, where were you when uh, 9-11 hit? Uh, this is actually not something I talk about too much. Um, so I was deployed when 9-11 hit. I was in my first platoon, and we were in Germany, a little base outside of Stuttgart, which is where um, some of the special forces and, and the, the SEAL unit is. And uh, we were there, and we were towards the end of our deployment, and we're getting ready to go to a exercise in Germany called Bright Star, which is a big allied exercise where a bunch of countries come together and we all do these big military operations together. And we had a, a pallet loaded up with all of our gear that we needed to do this exercise. I don't remember what we were doing at the time. I mean, we had a whole bunch of, we were going to go do a bunch of things and it was all part of these big war games. 
And our pallets were loaded on the airplane on the tarmac at, um, no, what's the big air base in um, Germany? Ramstein. So they're on, I'm on the tarmac in Ramstein. We've got most of the stuff loaded on this airplane. I was one of the rep- weapons representatives, so I was actually staying with our weapons boxes mm. um, because someone you never leave those alone. So I'm sitting on the weapons boxes out on the airfield waiting for us to get ready to fly out. And the rest of my platoon was inside on, uh, just in the little waiting area and at the terminal. And I uh, was listening to AFIS Radio, which is Armed Forces Network Radio. They have an English that they broadcast, you know, where the um, military's stationed. And I remember between songs, I was sitting out there with one of, one of my buddies in the platoon who was out there with me. And uh, the announcer comes on and says, hey, we just got a report that a small plane just clipped one of the World Trade Center towers in New York. We'll, we'll let you know more as we hear about it. And we're like, oh, that's weird. Plane, yeah. yeah. And then we went back to just listen to music or whatever. And then one of our platoon mates, I see him come out of the tarmac, come out of the door. And he's like, get in here. I'm like, can't leave the weapons. He's like. Fuck the weapons. Get in here. And so we both locked the truck up, and we ran inside, and, and there was a TV, and sat down, and then the second plane hit. Holy shit. And we realized, oh, shit, this we're going down. We're not going, to, Germ- we're not going to, to Egypt. We're not going to Bright Star. And so we pulled all our stuff off the plane, went back to our base, and we ended up building a war pallet. Like, we're, gonna, we're going in. <clears throat> and, of course, we didn't go in for quite a while. Um, How long did it take you guys to, to eventually get into? Well, I'm not sure who the first guys a bunch of guys went in, um, but it took uh, probably six months or so for the first platoons to start really uh, right. um, overtly rotating in there. Oh. Mm. And so uh, we missed that. We didn't have enough left on our platoon. We came back um, on our deployment. And then I got in another platoon at SEAL Team 4, and then I went over to Afghanistan on that next platoon. Can you rotate around? Is this like you have some option? or As far as rotate? Where? Yeah, between teams. Oh, yeah, or? yeah. So um, the SEAL teams are mostly on the East Coast or the West Coast, in Virginia Beach or in San Diego. <laughs> and uh, it used to be that individual teams had different areas of operation in the world that there were, were responsibilities. That's since changed. And, you know, someone can go to the East Coast and stay, you know, a year or do a platoon or something. And, and then when it comes time for them to rotate out, they can rotate to another uh, team, or they can, you know, talk to. They're like, I, I want to go back to San Diego, and so you find a guy in San Diego who wants to come out to Virginia Beach, oh, and you can swap. Cool. Um, there's lots of different ways to to work that, but um, you know, you, you you do in the Navy, in the military, in the Navy especially, you do sea duty, which is actual deployable. You're either on a ship, stationed on a ship, and you deploy, and you're an asset. And then once you do five years of that, six years of that, something, you can take a break and do shore duty, which you become an instructor. You do something where you're not deploying all the time. You're able to spend more time with your family and stuff. So that being a BUDS instructor was shore duty. So I did um, you know, a good chunk of time of sea duty, deploying and going to Eastern Europe, going to Afghanistan, and doing SEAL stuff. And then I opted to go out to San Diego because I wanted to get back to San Diego. And the option I had was to be a BUDS instructor. And so I took that. Does that help you guys transition into, like, um, let's say either if you're trying to get out or if maybe you just need a break from – because, mm-hmm. tw- I mean, yeah. we've ne- – no – I don't think any military unit in any country's ever in the history of the world has had a 20-year, like – consecutive wartime effort yeah, maybe israel but sustained yeah, con- yeah, yeah. they're yeah. yeah true very good very good point but you're right yeah but for us i guess mm-hmm. and yeah. uh 
And then going back home, man, that's always something I've really admired about uh, special operations guys, uh, whether, you know, in the Navy side of the house, the Army side of the house, Marines. You guys just, you guys, like, they don't, I don't think people really understand what an insane transition sometimes you guys have to go through. Like, yes. 24 yeah. hours prior, you guys could have been on target, yes. mega gunfight, and then you're expected to come home and be a fucking family guy. Yes. For a birthday yes. or, dude, I can't even fathom how difficult that must be. That is something that we are getting much better at. <clears throat> but as a society, as a modern Western society, we don't have that. I love talking about this because this is something close to my heart. We don't have something in place to transition people back in. We're getting better. But if you look at indigenous cultures around the world that were warrior cultures, almost all of them, if the the warriors came back from whatever they were doing. They weren't allowed to just go back to their, to their families and go back to the, the village. The medicine man or the shaman right. would usually sequester them off in, and he would purify them and they would go through rituals or rites mm. of purification before they were. And, 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 and what that did was acknowledge it would be gratitude and acknowledgement of what you did and what you sacrificed for the group and for the, for the, the community. And whether you believe in, the magic that the shaman was doing or not, it doesn't matter. Just the fact of their acknowledgement that we honor you. We acknowledge this. We, we realize you need to be cleansed. We realize, and we will do that. And Here's then we'll the wash cleanse. Exactly. Do and it. then now we bring you back with honor into your, um, your village and your family. And that is something that we don't do well. And there are, I could go into their countless examples of guys who have done bad things or have, um, you know, ended their lives or whatever because of that, that essence. Yeah, I mean, you, you build yourself and your identity in something so, so deeply with all of your, your effort, all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and then it's either like taken from you via like a medical, you have like something happened on a mm -hmm. deployment or maybe you're just, you just, can't do it anymore mentally or your family back home needs you more than the teams, right? Yes. You've got to transition out. And I'm sure, you know, it's getting better, but my goodness, man, it must've been pretty difficult, but, um, you know, you seem to find it, was it a hard transition or was it pretty quick to get well, into me, your TV show? For and, me, uh, my transition was doing the shore duty at buds and something that I always thought of when I was in operational in a platoon, I would come home and visit family or friends. And it would feel like to me when you are in a active platoon or in a unit, like a seal team, you, your life gradually increases its pace until you can't, you're like an F 14 trying to fly with a Cessna. You just, there's no overlap in the speed. When I come yeah. home and, and hang out with family and stuff, it'd be, there's no, you can't fly together. They just, you don't have any speed that overlaps. So you'd feel like I was doing racetracks, just trying to connect with family or people who don't know, they're not part of my brotherhood. And that was very difficult because just life goes back past so fast and you're just, the, the perceived pace of life just becomes so intense and so fast um, that, me being a buds instructor was like an off ramp. It's like I'm on the autobomb doing 120 miles an hour. And then here's an off ramp where I could slow down to about 50 before I hit the surface streets. You're still going a little fast, but it was a chance to slow down and all kinds of things um, involved in that chance to reintegrate yourself a little bit with yourself, with society, with, 
whatever with your family, with your friends. Um, but it, it's, it's very difficult. Um, and there needs to be something and we're getting much, much better at it, but you know, job work, your relationships, um, just interacting with people. There's a lot of pace matching that needs to happen before you can do that effectively. And we're getting much better. And I am a huge proponent of the psychedelic therapy, which yeah, um, you just recently did a massive cleanse yes. uh, from the psychedelic world. Talk us a little bit about that program and uh, yeah, how please. you got connected with that yeah. and what, maybe what drove you to do it, you know? Well, I'd always been interested and open to, I'd always been a spiritual person. So I come from, you know, before the SEAL teams, I was always very fascinated with Bushido and the Zen mm-hmm. and, um, and uh, some of the Buddhist practices and things like that. Some of the Eastern philosophies and ways of looking at things and warrior cultures. And so I was kind of set up for that. And when I came back, I started a meditation practice, which has been huge for me. So I've been a meditator for, for decades. But then I heard about this program where guys were having experiences with psychedelics and they were having tremendous healing. Tremendous. I believe that. Other brothers. Other brothers, yeah. And But every time someone would start talking about it, like I, I signed non-disclosures, I can't talk about yeah, it's that. It's a little taboo, right? It was at this time. It was a little taboo. And I was, it still is. But at the time, there were people like, I, I can't, they're pretty hard about the non-disclosures. And so, but I always clocked that. I'm like, one day I'm going to look into that because I'm very, very interested in it. Who's they, by the way, the NDA, uh, uh, the government? Or? No, no. Um, the people administering the psychedelic treatments. I see. The organization. The organizations, doing yes. The, I see. Okay. And I can talk this about is it like now. A clinic where you go. And yes, the, yes, right, right, yes. Right. This is all. This isn't like you know taking mushrooms at a festival. This right. is. <laughs> this is by some random highly, guys back. Yeah. This, this is. There's a doctor. Which is therapeutic too. Just a little. Bit. Yes, sure. But I'm talking. This is much more monitored and much. It's doctors and medical staff and screening and facilitators and therapists and it's, it's everything that you need uh, to have a, a, a therapeutic psychedelic experience. And so. I always wanted to follow up on that. And then I, t- I ended up talking to a friend of mine and I mentioned it just in passing. And she's like, Oh, you're probably talking about the Ibogaine program. I'm like, yeah, I think so. She's like, one of my great friends is, is uh, involved in that. I'm like, are you, can you hook me up? She's like, Oh, totally. And so I ended up talking to this woman who's more. Yeah. Yeah. Who's, who's a part of that. And she puts me in touch with the doctor running. It. There's a medical doctor who has run an Ibogaine clinic in Mexico for an Ibogaine. Ibogaine is, um, it's, it's derived from Iboga, which is a West African shrub, which is the great granddaddy of powerful psychedelics. This is like the big one. This is the don't, this is, you think you've smoked some or, or taken some shrooms that have taken you to yeah. the moon and back. No, this is, this, this is, is, you know, you're in it for 36 shit. hours and you're not going to be enjoying any of it. Um, so hours. it's, it's, oh yeah, it's, it's a big God. time. And so he, it's a, but it's an addiction interrupter within the first five minutes of the experience, your physical and mental addictions are cleansed. That's and so what so he does is he's been doing this with, um, yeah, with opioid and heroin addicts yeah. in Mexico Effective. for 25, 30 years and has had tremendous, I think they're 25, 30 years. Yeah. Where's the government on this? Yeah, shit, why don't man? they do that around here? Because it costs pennies and these it, homeless it, fucks it, could use this. It, yeah. it, 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 it heals people. Pass them. Pass that yeah. out. Government's not interested in healing people. Yeah, true. Pharmaceutical industry is not of interested in healing not. people. God damn. So what was that experience like? Oh, it was incredible. So I, I ended up talking to the doctor and he, he, first thing he asked me is, is like, why do you want to come down here? And so I, I'm like, you know, I'm consciousness expansion, reintegration, all this stuff. He's like, okay, good. You're, you're, you're on the right page. You know, you're in the right mindset. you if you said something? Yes. Yeah. This is a very serious program that's very well, um, 
run and 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 put together. So mm-hmm. he's like, we'd love to have you. There are um, many of these. Yeah, there are. And he he uh, he said, here's the people that will pay for it. And there's an organization, Marcus and Amber Capone. Uh, Marcus is a SEAL who had an experience um, that healed him completely. He was suicidal, healed him completely, uh, restored his relationship with his wife, his kids. It's been wow, amazing. So he, that. yeah, so he was like, we got to get this to everybody. So he and his wife DJ created a nonprofit. Did too. Yeah, DJ did. It's more common than one would think. It's just a little taboo still. Yeah, yeah. but it's really opening up. And so much, there's a lot of VA, there's a lot of studies and there's a lot of clinics on um, uh, ketamine and MDMA MD, MDA, MDMA, and psilocybin. There's a lot of yeah. this really opening up for therapeutic yeah. stuff, especially, especially the vets. Yeah. yeah, psilocybin for sure. So um, I end up uh, uh, talking to Marcus and Amber, and they get a someone to pay for me. So, so I'm taken care of. So I go down. I have uh, we do this uh, ibogaine experience, which is an all night experience, which is a long dark night of the soul boy that was that was yeah that was crazy and then after that was a 5-MeO DMT which is a toad venom which was I mean what's that trip like though the Ibogaine at the first Ibogaine, oh, Ibogaine maybe a brief 30,000 foot view yeah I'll give like, you a little bit I don't want to get it's a, it's a lot it's a lot of it's a long story I want to get into all of it no but, yeah just uh, but the Ibogaine so they, they give you the Ibogaine measured for your body weight we, it's we, a liquid right no it's a powder in capsules, yeah. So it's I don't know how they do it. They they take the iboga uh, bark and they extract the wow. active the ibogaine, okay. and then um, they measure that out for your body weight. And uh, um, after my experience, which was so profound and powerful and scary as fuck, I asked Doctor Martin, who's a, a Martin Polanco, is the guy who runs this, and he's amazing. I asked him, you know, is that like a, a crazy heavy dose? He goes, no, it's a, that's a medium dose. I'm like, I can't imagine what would a heavy dose be like? <laughs> He's like, you didn't need a heavy dose. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> but uh, at night, it's at nighttime. And first you have a, a urinalysis and a bunch of heart stuff. You do stuff before you go down to the clinic, but then right there, they, they test everything because Ibogaine psychedelics are very, very safe. There's very little mm-hmm. um, physical uh, problems that can happen with psychedelics. Ibogaine is one of the only ones that can have bad physical side effects. So oh, you have oh, doctors sure. monitoring the whole time. So they put a bunch of, you know, heart monitors and stuff all over you and a, a O2, never heard about this. Yeah, an O2 monitor on your finger and you take your medicine and you lay down with the eye shade and, um, and it's, it's about eight o'clock at night and I'm laying there waiting for something to happen. And then it starts to happen. And oh, I'm, it's the weird thing about Ibog- Ibogaine, Iboga is that it puts you in a dream state but you're also 100% awake. So it's a very weird feeling Whoa. because all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm in a dream. I realize, I recognize because I, I know what it's like to, it ties you back to dreams you've had. You're like, oh, I remember, this is what it's like being in a dream, but you're w- awake, but it feels like a dream. And so I can't really describe it. You have to experience it. Right. And you're like, oh, I get it. That's, that's a dream. I'm in a dream, but I'm also completely awake. Are you also tripping balls? Tripping I mean, balls, <laughs> man. Oh, dude. I mean, it was. I was transported into a alien fractal machine pit of hell and so i'm i'm experienced first thing is is this buzzing starts it's this nightmare buzzing it's like a chainsaw across it's like the devil taking a chainsaw and chainsaw in the sky open only the the buzzing had a shape it was shaped like this 
which I don't know what that really means. I, I remember it at the time, but it was, it, it, the sound had a shape. And then I'm in this. So point. it's loud. It gets very loud. Very loud. Yeah. And then there's the buzzing is a very common thing on, on Ibogaine. It is, yeah, it's a very common thing with other uh, you know, path of the poison like drugs. Oh, yeah. So yeah. Path to enlightenment. Really? Path yeah. of the yeah. poison. Yeah. Buzzing. Yeah. Buzzing. And then. Fuck. These faces that were faces, but they didn't look like faces. They're alien. It was like. It was like Transformers. It was like, it was like Megatron. Is it Megatron the, the bad guy? Yeah. yeah. It's like, I, I was in the fucking movie. I should know. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, what the fuck? It's like, you know, those faces that are faces but aren't really faces, like folding out of this fractal Lego background and then coming in and out. Holy shit. And then it moved on to some... And I was expecting to understand. I'm like, what do these mean? What do the visions mean? And I'd heard about other people's visions, like these friendly green dragons. It's supposed and to be shit. beautiful and kind yeah. Of and I'm like, I'm, like I'm down for that. I'm down for friendly green dragons <laughs> taking me around the universe. And instead, I got Megatron blah, coming out at me, yeah, buzzing blah, blah, you know. And oh, it was shit. it was night it was a nightmare alien intelligence that was so alien. I only I knew it was intelligence and it was consciousness, but it was nothing in common with it. Nothing whatsoever. And then these bodies were there. These people were standing around that were soulless. They were like manic human mannequins. I, I can't describe. I, I mean, I could, but we're going to go into too yeah, much yeah. detail. It's not going to make a whole lot of sense. <clears throat> yeah. It was, it, was, <clears throat> it was crazy. It was very, 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 very dark. And it was in 4k. It was like, I had never seen anything <laughs> With the clarity, I saw it with my mind's eye that I'd yeah. seen it with my, my eyes. It was it was more distinct and clearer than anything I'd ever experienced. And your eyes are open. I'm or under eye shade. So, um, so when my eyes are closed, I'm in this alien machine hell. And then if I open my eyes in the eye shade, I was in fields of stars. Like just this, like, like drifting in the, the galaxies, you know. Mm. And so, but I just kept closing my eyes because I wanted what the medicine had for me. I didn't want to avoid anything. I wanted to just go work through I it. I wanted whatever it's doing. I just had to trust. You have to let go Did and trust the medicine. The it scared the shit out of me. Um, I couldn't move. It does stuff to your body and you can move, but you can move like this, you know I mean? You can't really control. You have no fine motor control. No, it's like a, dis- a disassociative. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was, it was crazy. And then wow. this hat lasts all night long. Um, at some point the sun rose and then early afternoon I got up to go to the bathroom. I finally, I, I had to you know to. where your dick is at that point. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. 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 I did that. I, I got some. Yeah, yeah. Hard to miss. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say the same. I cannot say the same. And then I went downstairs, got something to eat, and then they did some energy work on me, which I'm like, okay, fucking hippie, but it worked. And then I went back to bed. Everyone's, all the guys are just like, these rictuses of pain on these mattresses. Um, We went through the whole next night and the next day. At some point I fell asleep in the next night. The next day I woke up and I felt like I'd been, beaten all over by baseball bats, but I felt like, you know, it was over. It was done. You know, right. I was worked. <clears throat> and then we went into the five MEO DMT, which every, all the guys are like, I don't think I want anymore. I think I'm done. I'm good. You know, that was, that was, that was a lot. I'm good. And then the facilitators are like the five MEO is very different. It's a book ending experience. You know, you, you should do it. It's a very short experience. <laughs> and, and I'm like, you're not leaving until you do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so like that is zero to hundred miles an hour. Yes. And, and, Instantly, absolutely. Like, there's like yeah. 36 hours. Like, yes. if you think the new Tesla Model S is flat, flat yeah. is fast. You know, yeah. but, but, but com, compa- so com, wait, compared to the other, the five MEO. Yeah. So the five was totally different. They said this is a short experience, so you're going to go con- in order. And I was number three of five. So they say, you know, just go wait out by the pool, and we'll call you your, your turn. So I go out to the pool. 
and I'm sitting there and I still have no understanding of what this experience just meant to me. You know, I, I, none of it made sense at all. It was just this nightmare in 4k for like fucking 36 hours. So I'm like, I don't know what this means, but I'm grateful. And whatever the medicine has, it'll, it'll show itself when it reveals itself. Right. I'm sitting out by the pool and I pull my pen out and I start to journal and I write, I don't, I I'm like, that's not what my head, my hand and my intentions just all on separate pages. Wow. And I scribble it out. I end up writing, um, Ibogaine was a nightmare in 4K that I couldn't wake up from, and I have no idea what it meant then or now. And I said, I think I had expectations for the medicine as long as, I, as hard as I tried not to. I think I had expectations. I have no expectations for the 5-MeO. I don't even know what it is. And right when I wrote that, I started to put my pen down, and I just I, re, I realized, I'm like, I feel very different. And I wrote that. I feel different. And I wrote, I feel clean. And I just put my pen down, and I just kind of did the self-assessment that I hadn't done. And I felt free and clean. It felt like every scar of my entire existence from the time I was two to the mm. two weeks ago had been wrapped up and pulled out of me. And I only noticed that they were there because of the absence. You know, wow, I felt the absence excellent. and that's, that's why I noticed it. Yeah, very healthy. And I was like, this is amazing. This is the best feeling I've felt in my entire life. And I was just sitting there just savoring it. And then I hear our first five MEO guy scream like his head's being cut off from the house about 50 feet yeah. away. I'm like, what? That's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm guess I'm coming next. Let's do it. Yeah. Holy so they just back to back you like this. Yeah. And so, uh, and, but the, the, I began cleaned me out and just laid this, just plowed the field. It was amazing. And Set so then the when I went in, huh? yes, it just cleansed, cleansed everything. Because it's an addiction interrupter. It addicts opioid addictions, but it interrupts everything else that in your life. Patterns of thinking. It's like we have these, what they're referred to as default neural pathways or default mode networks where it's just, it's your personality. It's how you think. It's how right. you see things. It's just those pathways in your brain that, that think things and see things. And that's the facet. That's how you understand things. It cleans all those out. So you're like a blank slate. You can choose anything you want. It's like a fresh snowfall. So instead of having to walk on the trail that you always walk because it's worn in, you can do anything you want. You can write whatever you want on a completely fresh page. So then the 5-MEO <clears throat> is toad venom, minute amounts in these little glass vials. So I go in and there's a, a mattress, white sheet, all the facilitators around. It's very holy and feels very sacred. And they smudge me and cleanse me and all the hippie shit. I'm like, at this point, though, I'm all in. I'm like, bring it. Yeah. And I, I sit down, and the doctor gives me the first. The doctor's administering this. He gives me the first dose, <clears throat> just which is a, a handshake dose to familiarize yourself with just the taste. It tastes very unique, very strange, very off-putting taste. So, you know, earthy or what? I can't even describe it. Oh, okay. It's it's. I've never tasted anything like this Crazy. in my life. It's, yeah, it's not like an alkaloid kind of tastes like a cactus or you know has that. Like <clears throat> no, it's 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 its own. Almost. It's its own thing. thing I, yeah. Yeah. And it, you never, it. yeah. And you, and you, you'll notice it for the rest of your, you'll never not we'll step out to the backyard. Yeah. Yeah. Down. So I take the first hit, nothing happens. Um, <clears throat> cause it's a tiny amount, minuscule amount. And so now we're going to the first real dose. And so what they tell you is you inhale till they tell you to stop and they hold it and they'll count down from 10 and then exhale, throw your arms back and just fall back on the mattress. So I do that. And I inhale, hold it for 10, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And I exhale and throw my arms back and fall back. And my world just explodes. And I'm just transporting this kaleidoscope and the sound. Um, and these colors, the primary colors, but I've never seen a red. Like this, this is a red like you 
can't understand a red. It, but it's red. Right. But it's like something you've never seen before. And a yellow and a blue and a green. And, <clears throat> and it's just bliss and love. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And I sat there for a few minutes. And I remembered something that one of the guys said downstairs. He said, this is like a deep dive in the ocean. It's dark. It's pressure is immense. And it's so beautiful. And you're just looking around and just loving it. And he said, but then you look over to your right and you see a pit going way down deep. He said, if you have it in you, go down there because that's where the jewels are. And I thought, well, since I can have this thought, that must mean that I'm not deep enough. So I signaled for some more and they kind of pull me up and I feel the vaporizer against my lips again. And I inhale and he counts down from five this time, three, two, one, exhale. And I exhale and throw my arms out and I die. I feel my body atomized and it's fucking gone and I am dead. And I remember thinking, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, fuck, you really did it now. And just panic rising. Like, I just killed myself. Holy shit. And then as I was just about to lose my fucking mind, I was like, but it's okay. It's all okay. And I just, I just settled in. And I was in this place. It was the classic Buddhic void. And it was um, pure consciousness, pure consciousness, infinite potential, in pure consciousness and just this black vast and how could I have forgotten that I'm no less a part of this infinite consciousness how can how could I forget we all that? are yes how could we forget that yeah how could a wave not understand that it's just as much of the ocean mm-hmm. it's not something individual and this consciousness and this power and I and I and I rem- and all, all I had a whole bunch of insights and all none of them were new all of them were remembering and I remembered wow. what I am. And that was, and I, I am. And I remembered that. And I just floated in that and had this understanding. And how could I have forgot? How could we forget what we actually are? It was a returning to where I came from is what yep. it was. And we all come from the same that's place. That's exactly it. But we've all forgotten. And I remembered. And then I, I remember feeling a scream coming from someplace and I felt my body scream. I heard it. I heard my body scream. I didn't scream. I heard it. It was, and the thing was, is that there's no space or time in this place uh-huh. whatsoever. They said I was there for about an hour. I don't remember it. There's no, there's no, it's not short. It's not long. It's just, there's no time. Yep. And <clears throat> I experienced this and I heard my body scream. And that scream was from 20 years ago. It was from right now. It was from the future because mm-hmm. everything was all this, this singularity is rippling out. Mm-hmm. Um, throughout the fabric of space and time and there's no limit to what direction that goes in and I laid there and I laid there and then finally at some point in space or time I thought I wonder if my body's still breathing and (gasps) I took this giant breath and I got sucked back into my body my eyes opened I felt the hands around me and I opened my eyes and the light coming in from the windows was tangible and it was conscious and the light was conscious and I laid there and I just started sobbing with the sorrow of what we lost and then I started laughing hysterically with the joy of what we are mm. and I was sobbing Jeez. and laughing with loss and joy and loss and joy and I looked around at everybody and I said are we dead are you angels and I just whispered I am born I am born in this moment I am born and it was like I remember telling him, I'm like, I get the joke now. I get it. It's like, it's like your entire life has been, there's a 
surprise birthday party for you and everybody's in on it and you know something's a little off but you're not like and then all of a sudden when the surprise happens you're like oh I, I get, get it all it. I get it I get it I'm Why in on the joke acting <clears throat> so weird or, yeah. you know yeah yep I get the joke and that's what it was is I, I get the joke I understand it now yeah. how fucking profound yeah and then out of that 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 was a very high level of consciousness of vibration at the buddhic void and then over the next two or three days I descended down through these beautiful blissful levels of just consciousness back to where I am now and but I'll never be the same I felt that man I literally just felt all of that yeah very powerful I mean yeah, yeah. we always have been and we always will be and that's something that oftentimes is forgotten mm-hmm. I think that's why it's oh, so yes. important to be do you, do you like introspective and and try these new things and I, that's such a it's such a telling thing about you and your life is like you go towards what scares the shit out of you but it also Right those experiences There's nothing more rewarding. shape you, mm-hmm. right? Like yes. they give you those depths. They give you those jewels. Yeah. You have to go down and get them. Though, yeah. Fear know? shrouds the biggest rewards. And that's kind of like Amen. that. That's such a interesting component to, I think what I admire most about you is, as being a, a friend of yours and just seeing the transformation. I remember when you left I remember you got back and I just could feel something was different. <laughs> like, yeah. and I just, I was so amazed and I was like, what a powerful thing that this earth can provide and encompasses in and of itself. You don't really need anything else than mm. what's provided on this earth. It's all here. And yeah. you can explore. And it's all one thing. Yeah. Everything yeah. is all one thing. Everything is the same. It's all one thing. This yep. table is made yeah. from the same energy that exactly. You know, exactly. Different densities, different resonances. Yes, yes. It's frozen light. It's all, it's all one thing. It's mm. all it's all one thing. They say, so, they wonder why people, if you wonder why more people aren't enlightened, it's because enlightenment is dying. Because there, wow. there is no, you think you're going to be enlightened. The thing is, is enlightenment is realizing that there is no you. So there's, yeah. no, there's no you to be That's enlightened, right. you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's no you left. Yeah. How incredible that is, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah that, that's, um, I think that's what excites me most too is about like what, we're getting ourselves into now Mm -hmm. like isn't that so telling is that we're we're about to journey into something that scares the shit out of us yeah we don't know what this path is going to be in terms of uh and what i mean by that is uh joel had this crazy idea to take his show and make it into an augmented reality uh mobile game and uh called escape and evasion mobile and uh Man, let's let's talk about that a little okay, bit. Let's I, get think, into that. I think that is uh, <clears throat> it's because it scares the shit out of me at times. I got to be honest. Okay. I, it's an unknown space. It's, it's unknown new. Space. But one thing I really and and Keith, man, he can probably talk more about all this uh, the technology side of this house. What we're about to get into, but man, I think one thing that really interests me is that uh, taking all of your skill sets, all of your experience, kind of like the drug, right? Like you looked back. You, you experience everything you were, what you've done, and then the f- now and the future. And I think like this way of utilizing technology is so incredibly insane. I think people don't realize it's about to hit them in the face. Because, mm. you know, in 2016 is when uh, Pokemon Go came out. And when it mm-hmm. first came out, what a weird transition, right, mm-hmm. to, to get into Pokemon Go from all that. But I swear it'll make sense. Um, and I'm not high right now, unfortunately. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to affect your ability to explain this. But like when it first came out, it was booming. It was crazy. It made 
so much money right off the bat. And then up to this point, if you ask 90% of people what's going on, like they'll be like, Pokemon Go is still a thing. Yeah. It made almost $2 billion That's a mega thing. last year. Yeah. In two-day tournament or, or at an event they had, it brought in almost $200 million in tourist revenue. And uh, they made – the company actually made $24 million. But the space is about to re-explode. Yes. And it's something I think is so fascinating. Like what how, – how the fuck did you come up with this idea, man? And it, why augment to reality yeah. mobile <clears throat> tech? Like, no, this is a great story. <laughs> this is this – is, I'm very excited about this. I love talking about this. Of course, we're all involved in this. So – how it came about. So I, um, once I, I, I got out of the Navy, I got involved in, in film and television and I did this show on discovery channel called manhunt. It's called lone target in the U S but basically it's escape and evasion, which is a military, um, skill set where the short of it is you're, um, behind enemy lines. You're everyone's been killed, but you, you've lost your weapon. You've lost your communications. Uh, the helicopter took off without you. And now they say you go to secondary extract, which is three days away and 20 kilometers. You got to be there and there'll be a helicopter to pick you up at midnight. And so now you're, behind, you're on your own. You've got nothing and they're hunting you down and you have to try to make it to your, your next extract point. And that's called escape and evasion. So it encompasses, um, you know, uh, uh, evading forces, survival. It's, it's, it's kind of the worst situation you can be in, in any kind of military, um, in environment. In fact, um, first blood Rambo, that was a classic, um, classic escape such and evasion. Tactics. Oh, I such a now. fucking classic. Yeah. I never would have even put that together. Yeah. First, it. first blood is exactly, right. um, escape and evasion. <clears throat> so, okay. so that's what my show really was, was a bunch of real world events that were akin to first blood. I'm out there setting booby traps and um, covering my trail and hiding in the mud and doing all the kind of shit while people use all their assets to try to track me down and take me down. So um, I did these shows. They're incredibly popular and they just, it was a brilliant show and we traveled around the world so doing good, it. Man. Yeah. It's so, so good. I'll put the show links in the, in the show notes because uh, a lot of the episodes are available to watch. Right? Yeah. On YouTube. A lot of them are. Yeah. On yeah. YouTube and, there's clips on your Apple YouTube TV channel. and yeah. uh, discovery plus and there's, there's, it's on a bunch of stuff. So uh, I am on, but anyway, it was this brilliant show that we did and hurt a lot of people. It was, it was legit. It was hardcore. And so I would constantly get asked during press uh, events and things. People were like, are you going to take, you know, a, a celebrity out on with you? Are you going to do like a, you know, celebrity thing? I'm like, I'm getting, I can't, my cameraman gets me caught. Oh, I'm not going to bring Kim, Kim Kardashian, Kardashian out there. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's not going to, it's not going to happen. Yeah. So, but people all wanted me to run a clinic or teach on these booby traps and on these deception trails and on these primitive skills and stuff that I would do because it's super exciting. Yeah. And I always, was it harder than you thought? Like in terms of, or like exciting, uh, doing the show. Cause it is a show at the end of the day. There's probably to be some components of like, I mean, obviously you're really trying to escape and evade, but you know, the cameraman and shit yeah. like you got to deal with. I mean, it was, it was hundred percent. One of the hardest things I've ever done seal missions and everything. It was in some That's incredible. And yeah. In most instances. And plus, you know, I gave, I'm not going to go down easy. So I gave everything and it took a lot out of me. A lot of people went to the hospital. It was, it was, we had a oh, lot shit. of close calls. It was a crazy show. Damn. Yeah. 
Um, one guy got stabbed through the neck by a flying fish and almost died. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I got, oh I got all kinds of stories. A bunch of other guys got taken down by Africanized killer bees and uh, you know anaphylactic shock and everything. It was, it was we had to find them in the jungle. Jesus. They lost. It was legit. So I'm not going to get into all that. Yeah. If you want to see that, go to season one of Manhunt and watch the behind the scenes episode, okay. and that will have all the brutality in it. It's awesome. I love it. We'll do a screening after that. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so um, anyway, I, I, I had that in mind and. Um, I got in a motorcycle accident and couldn't continue doing the show, which is too bad. My foot was crushed. And so I was kind of thinking about what I was going to do next. I was still doing a lot of stuff for Discovery, a lot of uh, stuff, shows from Fukushima and voiceovers. I was still doing a lot of stuff for Discovery. I still am. But I was like, how can I leverage my escape and evasion skills and my prominence as an escape and evasion expert? Because really, there's nobody else in the world who's done this and done it like me. And, you know, give an experience to the people that want to learn this kind of stuff and want to, they're, they're fans of the show. And I had gone to, after the motorcycle accident, I'd gone to Scandinavia and done a bunch of, um, uh, kind of experimental stuff shooting with, uh, virtual reality, which is very exciting. I love virtual reality, but it's, it's augmented reality is where it's going to be, which augmented re- virtual reality takes you away from the real world and immerses you in a, in a, a false world by, you know, taking your senses away and, and um, or not taking them away, but taking yes. the, the, the vision away and, and inputting some other false or other digital, right? yeah, other digital world imprinting it on your experience. Augmented reality is the real world with digital overlays. And Keith, you can correct me <clears throat> anyway. And so um, this for advertising, for training, for teaching, for military, for gaming, this is the future and all the big companies, Samsung, Apple, Google, all these companies are spending billions of dollars on hardware and software to develop their platforms for augmented reality for whatever, however it's going to be. And obviously it's, it's right now it's, it's breaking out in gaming a little bit. But like you mentioned earlier, Pokemon Go came out and Pokemon, of course, is a massive IP. It's a huge IP globally. And so that's why they are doing so well. Cause honestly, the game is pretty stupid. Uh, sorry. It really Pokemon is. Go. Yeah. It's, it's a dumb game. It's, it's, it's a weak game. It I is a weak game. A day and I got bored. Yeah. Bored. If you're a big Pokemon fan, of course, then you got to catch them all. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> if, if as, as a game, as a standalone game, it's not very good. But like you mentioned last year, it made almost $2 billion on in-app purchases. And that's not even leveraging the advertising potential and the potential that you can drive people, uh, a foot traffic to brick and mortar locations it's there's yeah, the potential is insane and all the numbers and metrics and been you've done all the research on this as far as what's going to happen gaming wise and revenue wise for augmented reality and mobile platforms is insane yeah man i mean keith what your knowledge of tech over the you know However many years you've been, you've been doing engineering for ever since I, the earliest I know is since 1998, but I know you've been doing it for longer than that. <laughs> so like the capabilities that these phones have now and with augmented reality, I mean, it's insane, man. It is. What you're capable of doing and, and uh, what you can capture in terms of an audience's attention with real tangible feeling assets that are just 
immersed with the real world. It's yeah. like it's just and the better all the crazy. devices get, the smaller all this stuff shrinks. Yeah. You know, Faster, the better the overall experience. You know, and like to your point, if one could actually, you know, a game or what have you, an experience could drive real foot traffic to a real place. I mean, that that's powerful. Um, you know, just to, to connect a, a, an, an interesting dot here too to all everything that was talked about earlier to get a little bit philosophical. But I think you know, a lot of times people are like, oh, how are we going to build this new thing? Well, you know. You, you know, you start by building the possible, you know, and, and, and you set off to do what you know you can do. And then eventually you start kind of inventing the impossible, you know, and that's Beautiful. what comes, comes out of that thing. Uh, so, you know, that's uh, I think with what E&E &E and like putting that together, that's kind of what you're aiming to do a little bit. Yes. Yes. So there's this incredible potential for augmented reality. And I thought, you know, what I do and what people are really interested in, the booby traps, the primitive skills, the deception trails, the tracking, the people taking you down and chasing you, all of those things are perfectly situated for augmented reality. I mean, augmented reality is the perfect uh, technology <clears throat> sure. for this. And what I do and my skill sets are going to perfectly showcase what augmented reality can do. So um, I had this give idea. Us a, give us an example of like a booby trap or, or an experience that would translate from like your show perfectly to the. Okay. Well, let me lead game. into that by gotcha. talking about it. So, you know, we're getting there. So, <clears throat> I'm excited. Great, point, as great point. Great point. Yeah. <laughs> but so I thought, you know, how how can this, what, what do we do here? I mean, just can make an app and experience. I can train people. But then I thought a game is a perfect way to do this because really the, the show was a, a giant game. It's the world's biggest game of hide and seek, which that's a good game. It's been around for a while and it's the kind of thing that you can build on. So um, I pitched kind of the idea to a couple of people, representatives and stuff that I'd work with in Hollywood. And they just, they shit their pants over the idea. They just, they loved it. And I, this wasn't developed yet. This was just a concept that I had. And so I'm like, okay, there's something here. And they, 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 these guys would say that is, there's some, there's gold there. This is something you need to pursue. So, um, I sat down about the time you and I started hanging out, Ben, I sat down and I, I'm like, okay, I, I need to create this. So I sat down and I created it and I started thinking through how, how is this going to be? Is, is this going to be a game? How's the game going to play? What's the storyline? What do you do? How, how is it going to work? And so I just, sat down and, and kind of created the framework for it. And then that, about that time, Ben and I, we started talking about the idea and that was very exciting. Created the whole thing, created the gameplay, put it all together and then started pitching this to a few people, put a deck together um, and did Ben did an amazing job with the graphics and taking my crap tech skills and making it something good. <clears throat> And we pitched it to some game developers and to some Hollywood people and some people in the space. And everybody we pitched to just lost their minds. Like, yeah. this is just a brilliant idea. It's going to be a brilliant game. This is. And so what I'm really what we're looking at is that I've had this show and this presence doing escape and evasion in every country in the world except for Canada. It's the only place that didn't show my shows. And so, Assholes. so fuck Canada. Um, but anyway, um, <laughs> you guys can play curling. Yeah. We'll play Union. That's funny. <laughs> so we, uh, we, uh, no, nah, I love Canada. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so, um, we created this, this game and I have a presence in every country really in the world. 
on this exact thing, escape and evasion. I'm no major celebrity, but there's a presence. This has been introduced. There's something to hang this on in every country in the world. So 100,000 followers ain't uh, too bad, though. Yeah, it's not bad. Uh, I should really post more. But yeah, that's you not even trying. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, but, but we've created this thing and there's a market for it. There's a massive market for it. And then there's also there's also a, hat, a hook to hang this on because of me and what I do. And I've done television shows doing the same skill set of escape and evasion. And really, I'm the one who pretty much owns escape and evasion globally. And so um, we created this thing. It can be global. The money involved in um, mobile gaming and augmented reality is insane. So I'll give a couple examples like Yaspin, and I'm going to let you guys talk a little bit about, you know, kind of the the numbers and stuff. But, um, so you, you go outside your house, you download it, you create your avatar. Um, you've got a game, you go outside, start hunt. And then on your mobile device or your Google glasses or Apple glasses or whatever you happen to be using, you know, you're looking around the haptic feedback, the touch feedback and the sound cues and the visual cues, you'll find a footprint or a smudge or some sort of spore tracking. You start tracking this person that you're tracking down to, to capture. But be careful because they're leaving booby traps and they're leaving deception trails. So you come across, um, you're walking up the street and all of a sudden the, the footprints get very distinct and you get sucked in and you start looking down and then you realize, whoa, I might be getting sucked into a booby trap. So you start looking around and then across the sidewalk, there is a small distortion of space, like the old Klingon ships when they cloak in, uh, in Star, yes. Star Trek. Right, you know, right, kind of right, a little distortion right. against the stars. Mm-hmm. You see that, and so you, you zoom in and you engage with it. Now, boom, it solidifies into a glowing yellow tripwire across your, your path with explosives on the wall on either side. You decide to engage and disarm it for the points, for the, the cred. And so you engage on your phone screen or whatever it is device that you're using and using a virtual joysticks, virtual, yeah, is it virtual joysticks? Yeah. 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 It comes on, you engage with your virtual joysticks or Mm -hmm. whatever. Yeah. Engage, disarm very carefully, scroll like a panoramic photo across, keeping that tripwire in the lines to the explosives, engage, disarm the explosive, get your points, get your fame points, get your, your, um, reward from it and then move on so there's all kinds of things all kinds of booby traps deception trails things you'll encounter things you collect um people you'll be playing against and with um and we'll get into more of the game but uh, ben and keith i want to get into you know kind of the the more the yeah it's sign me up that sounds wild you know compared (laughs) to something like pokemon go which really just doesn't offer a whole lot of gameplay and I think, like, the really interesting thing about this concept, what got me chubby, <laughs> is that when you pitched it to me, I instantly got it. Because, one, the fantasy genre for mobile games is legitimately the only genre being built in the last, from 2016 to this point, all the mm-hmm. games are fan- uh, fantasy-based. Yeah. They're not real. There's nothing tangible like that you can relate to real life, right. which augments <clears throat> reality. Like the definition is an immersive, immersive experience of the real world, the digital world. Boom. How do you make that real? This is the only idea I've ever heard of that does that on a level that you can actually smell, taste, feel, not to mention 
no other company, you're not going to a Pokemon Go event and say, I'm going to meet fucking Pikachu. <laughs> but you can say that for this game. I'm going to meet Joel fucking Lambert, yeah. Navy SEAL, real guy. I, I can shake his hand, give him a hug, a hot girl, give you a kiss on the cheek. Like, this is real. You're real. So, like, there's this, this deep layer of experience that goes past just this game that yeah. makes this so fucking incredible and all these kids you know growing up i know personally i used to play i was a loser i used to play cops and robber with my dog mm, yeah. so i would try to sneak into the backyard fence without uh-huh. him catching me it was, a, it was a german shepherd australian shepherd <clears throat> awesome mix. never won because he was so smart lucky rest in peace buddy but um yeah i mean He's still getting you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Kids are, uh, that's what you, I used to grow up playing with my friends. It's like cops and robbers, the laser stuff, yeah. whatever. Oh, you yeah. setting traps and shit. This is the, this is the one game. This is the game that's, Goes we're not back. creating a new game. This is a game yeah. that's been around forever. This is hide and seek. It's hide and go seek, yeah. really. Now it's just implementing it on a, on a device that is yes. so powerful. So it, it can be very addicting. Mm-hmm. It can be all these things that are not good, but this is a really interesting way because look, we're moving into a new uh, evolution of life. Like the digital world is a real thing now. Yeah, it's gonna happen. It's not real, but it's a real thing. Yeah. And so, the kids coming up are playing video games, are are interacting with these things. It's it's unavoidable. Yeah. But how do you make them like get outside and go do things with friends? Because that's one thing I, I'm really excited about with this is like we're gonna create a multiplayer component to this. You're hunting, you know, you're, you're training, you're doing the hunts with you as a digital realm, but then it's like, hey, Keith, like, or, or whatever, like, let's go do a hunt together or let's do it against each other. Or there's Yes, so exactly. In the storyline, you play initially against the computer as you're playing the storyline, as you're, as you're engaging in the, the storyline and the, and the game and you're learning how to play. And then there's a point in time where now you can choose. You're the hunter. You're the hunted. You can um, form teams of my five buddies in my neighborhood, and we hunt other people. We're playing against a computer or we're playing against a real live person. I can hunt somebody. Somebody can hunt me. I can have a global guild working towards the same goals, doing hunts in my local area. One of the things that we're doing I'm very excited about is that – if you're not able to get outside and run around for whatever reason, you can build hunts on your computer in your basement. You can build a hunt using um, the, some of the street view technology and such. Mm-hmm. I can build a hunt putting booby traps and deception trails and footprints in in Barcelona or Paris. And then people locally can play those hunts and win points against me or you know, I can be the badass hunt creator that nobody can win any of my hunts. And now you got people who can't get out and run who are creating hunts and worlds and like a dungeon master for other people to play. You've got interaction. We get our digital world. Yeah. You've got the screen time. You're playing a game, but you're outside, you're running around. You've got people that you're engaging with in the digital world, in the real world. And it's, I love that aspect for social, social, just the social value of that. And then as well as taking us away from just this locking right. of the screen where now the screen is a part of the real game that you're playing out in the fresh air, engaging with new people. You know, there's a lot of general ideas just being thrown around metaverse, meta, 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 you know, yeah, Facebook right. rebranding as yeah. metaverse, et cetera. This is a concrete, real playable demonstration of what metaverse is becoming, you know, but it's, it, it, this is real, you know, this isn't just some, you know, Hey, imagine this concept I have and we'll call it the right. metaverse. Like yeah. this is, this is a real concrete component of that yeah yes. and the technology's freaking there man and i think that's Indeed. uh 
it, it's just something that I I wake up. I have I literally have dreams about how excited I am about all this. Oh yeah, um, uh, I mean, you have a playable sizzle. That's uh, you know I've played it. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's the screen recording is actually done. Yeah, you'll see the awesome. Yeah, now that the cat's out of the bag, uh, I don't know if I was uh, you know supposed to bring this up. No, but it was pretty neat. It was just a cool a cool like show of show of the demo, show of the skill, show right. that this can be a real thing. Yes. That's, that's, I'm glad you brought that up because everything, all the ideas that we have created in this whole, all of the, the, the storyline, the things you're engaging with, all the things that we are part of the game right now are doable right now. This is none of the stuff that we have created. We're waiting on anything for uh, hardware or software. And as the capabilities of the hardware and the software expand, we're going to be able to grow with that. We are a bleeding edge of a world disrupting technology yeah. and to be able to have uh, not only you know a good IP, but a kick-ass product, a kick-ass game that is right on the c- cutting edge of a technology that's emerging that's going to be global. I mean, some of the um, the uh, people in the AR space that we pitched this to, that we've talked to, have said on multiple occasions that this idea is the best AR idea they've ever seen, that this is the only idea they've seen that's able to really utilize what AR can do. So... In We're fact, gonna... some of the people that uh, are working with the Pokemon Go stuff yes, uh, yes. said this. So mm-hmm. I won't throw them under the bridge, but... Uh... We have it on good authority. This is a decent idea, man. So yes, yeah, we're uh, we're super stoked. And what I really uh, am excited about too is how we're going about getting it done. Um, uh, we've had Joel here for quite a bit, so we'll start wrapping up. But man, uh, we are about to launch a crowdfunding campaign. We're going about it, fundraising some money because this stuff ain't cheap. You know, this no. is uh, to get to a level that's competitive. You know, Keith is an ultimate testament here of uh, starting something from scratch. Just to get to the fucking starting line is so much work. Just to get Always. started. Like, just to that point, you know, we've been working on this for almost two years now. Yeah, but and, I mean, what we've got and the, the, the numbers and that, I mean, for what we can build this four um is a pennies compared to what the revenue will be if if it's not a success yep you know if it's not a success it's going to be very successful if it's a hit it's stupid the moon is yeah, it's stupid yeah, yeah. not not even moon landing yeah moon dude lambo landing exactly <laughs> dude so yeah man we're we're really excited uh and it's something that when the the second you pitch it to me i and it it just it clicked, man. And going through this process with you and, and seeing a little bit more behind the scenes on how you work and, and how you think and what you do and how your procedures are, et cetera, how you execute life is just it's everything you just said to a T. Um, Thank you, my friend. It scares the shit out of me, too, knowing like what this could be. Uh, I'm not scared of failing, but it's like it's just that it's the unknown, the world of the unknown. And uh, but. Fuck, man, I, I couldn't uh, be more excited to do it alongside you two gents. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, just yeah. very grateful for an amazing team. Yeah, man, it's it's legit. Always so the team we'll Always keep everyone posted on yes. where we are with, you know, our crowdfunding campaign and, and when that's launched. And it's coming up very soon. We've been working really hard. Uh, this isn't a sales pitch, but it's just to, uh, you know, tell the people about what's possible in the human lifetime and that you just got to go fucking go for Everything. it. Everything. Yeah. Got to go for it. Attack life at its fullest. So 
man, we really appreciate you coming here. Oh, my uh, pleasure. And hey, everybody out there listening, if you are at all interested in this, go to escapeandevademobile.com and sign up, and we will keep you updated with everything. We're not going to spam you. We're just going to keep you updated on the progress. We're going to be looking for beta testers. We're going to be looking for yep. a lot of people to be involved in this. That's as well mega. As sign investors. up for the beta testing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get exclusive uh, access to all the first-tier stuff. Um, and You'll then, be hooked up to the, all the releases of this. We'll yep. be, that, that list of people will be getting... And then be part of our team for quite a while. Of those people, maybe we'll even get some of those. Uh, we'll pick a hand selected few to come out for the launch party or something and, and be a part of it. That'd there be awesome. Cool. Yes. So, brother, <laughs> that sounds good. For coming, Thank you man. for having Joel me. Lambert, a yeah, fucking true awesome. warrior. Uh, everybody, have a great night. We're gonna go see our boy fight Jordan That's Wright. Right. Jordan yeah. from That's Dynamics a, yep. MMA. One of, our, one of our guys at our, the place we train is in the UFC, and so it makes me feel much better. To watch him steamroll people in the octagon after he steamrolls me in the gym. So. God, I can't even count how many times he's choked me out, man. Oh, yeah. And he just calm, cool, collected. Makes me feel better about Makes it. Me yeah, feel exactly. So, yeah, my ego is not <laughs> yeah. so hurt. You know? Exactly. When I see him choking <laughs> motherfuckers out in the UFC, I'm like, okay, I feel better about you choking better. me out okay. this afternoon. Yeah, that could have been me. <laughs> Are you All right, buddy. While you're out here? No, I'm not training while I'm out here. I actually have not been back in the gym since my stroke. I went to Virginia to do that training program to get back and now i'm back i've got enough grip strength on my left side that i'm going to be able to grip geese and stuff and do holds so um i think this next week when i'm back in nashville i'll start training and i'll start rolling hey man you seem like back in the seat yeah i mean very very sharp very witty like i mean unbelievable insane it was i was very lucky very blessed and i guess prepared for what happened there Hey, you've been praying for this your whole life, man. It ain't nothing. (laughs) All right, guys. Everybody have a good night. Thank you for tuning in.